Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Dave, one of the ministers here, and uh, keep your Bibles open at Malachi if you've got it open there. It'll be good to look at as we're going through. Uh, and of course, uh, you're probably wondering uh, how does a book written thousands of years ago to an ancient and foreign people, how could that possibly be relevant to us today and to me and what's going on in my life? Well, uh, Malachi is speaking to God's people then, uh, and they are living in relative peace. Uh, the Persians are this new world power, and they're showing a lot of religious tolerance. And so Israel are free to return home and to practice uh, their religion and their worship. Uh, they're, they're coming back from Babylon, back from exile, into their homeland. And you kind of think, well, this is the time for Israel to go from strength to strength and to, to grow strong. But the opposite begins to happen. Like their devotion to the Lord begins to weaken uh, and they start to get very dull and routine in their worship and they begin to drift away from obedience to the word of God as his people. And because these days are really, they're relatively uneventful for God's people. Those amazing works of the past in the exodus and the, the conquest and all those things in the temple, all, all that is in the past. And the prophetic voice of God speaking to his people has not been heard for years. And so they're beginning to doubt, is God ever going to fulfill his promises to us? And does that sound anything like the time that we live in? It sounds pretty similar. We live in a very peaceful uh, and routine and some might say quite uneventful time. Right? It's been thousands of years since the coming of Christ. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to be until he comes back again. And so one day might just be rolling into the next for us. And before we know it, it's Christmas. Before we know it, it's 2024 and life just keeps going on. Right, and so we are those people that are facing similar challenges to the ones they faced in this time of waiting. Do you ever feel a little bit dull as a Christian? Do you ever, have you ever found yourself just drifting through those routines of prayer and of Bible reading and church, but your heart and your mind are just, they're just somewhere else? And have you ever found yourself walking in sin and not really being bothered by it? Not thinking it's such a big deal. Well, if any of that is true for you, then Malachi is relevant for us today. You see, God is sending Malachi to his weary and wayward people to kind of stir them up and to get them back on track. Right? God sends uh, Malachi to call his people to return to him. Right? Return to me in wholehearted devotion. Right? Return to me in obedience to my word. Return to me in a faithful expectation of the promises that are very soon to be fulfilled, as this was the last book of the Old Testament before the coming of Christ. And God's word to them then could do the same for us today. One of the verses that tells us that is Romans 15.4, where Paul says to the Romans, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. All right, so this word written to them a long time ago is also a word written for us. So we might have encouragement. Uh, so we might have uh, hope. So we might endure in faith. And so this is a word for us. But we're going to start by looking at how it is a word to them, to Israel. So have a look at verse 1 and we see what this book we're going to read is all about. It's a prophecy 
right? The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now, this is good news, okay? To start with, God has a message for his people. They are on speaking terms. That's awesome. Uh, but there's also some bad news. Uh, this message God has for them is, is not nice. Uh, it's, it's quite uncomfortable at points. Uh, this word prophecy that's used here uh, carries the meaning of a burden. All right, it's like God has laid this, this burden on the back of Malachi. It's a heavy load. It's his message. And he's saying, take this to my people Israel. And so Malachi is constrained to take this word to God's people and unload it, as it were. Right? It's a confronting message. If you're like me, you don't like confrontation. Uh, I, was, I was diagnosed at one point as a turtle when it comes to conflict. Uh, it's just an animal that says that they don't like conflict. They duck their head into their shell when it comes and wait till it passes and they come out and continue their life. We, a lot of us are like that. We don't like confrontation. We'd rather hide from it, but there's no hiding from God's word to his people here as we read it. And so as we go through Malachi, you'll see it's divided into these six arguments. It's a series of six arguments uh, between God and his people, this confrontation. And we're going to look at one each week. And they're kind of structured like this. God will make a statement to his people and then they will respond with a, like a question, but it's like a doubting question. It's not good. It's not a good response. And so then God will give them more detail in his response and like a final answer. And so we saw that today in this first argument, really clear. Uh, God says to his people, I have loved you. And Israel say, how have you loved us? And then God responds with what we're calling there. Let, let me show you how I've loved you. And so if you're ever someone who's been going through hard times and you're sort of wondering if God loves you, if he is there, if he cares, right, then, then this is what we need to hear as well. We need to hear about God's love for us. And so here we go. God's opening statement is, I have loved you in verse 2. Now this is something we must remember as we go through Malachi. Right, I want the, to, remember this is like a heading over the whole book. God loves his people. Right, but there's a problem that we have with this statement is that we hear that, that God loves us, and we fill it with our own meaning, don't we? We fill that word love with our own meaning. We say, well, if God really loved me, then he would do blank. You fill the space in. And that's exactly what Israel do when they hear this. Uh, their response is, how have you loved us? Because they're probably thinking, if you loved us, why do we go into exile? Right, why are we suffering right now that we're back? Why is there this, this kind of famine and oppression? Uh, why are we so small and insignificant in the world? Our borders have shrunk. Right, if you really loved us, then you would bless us. Right, Israel here are like the kid who questions their mum. Uh, maybe you've done this when you've said to mum, what have you ever done for me? Very brave kid saying that, aren't they? Or maybe you're a, you're a mum or a parent who's heard that and, um, and, and maybe you catch mum on a bad day and she responds, where do I start? I gave birth to you, I nursed you, I fed you, I changed you, I comforted you, I cared for you, I did everything for you. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. Right, and thanks to Sammy who gave me some words for that passage. Thank you, Sammy. But that is like Israel here questioning God's love for them. 
And so how does God respond? Uh, we'll spend a bit more time here because we need to because he doesn't really respond in the way that we would expect, does he? Uh, but he says here in verse 2, Was not Esau Jacob's brother? declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Now it's super clear, isn't it? So um, you know, we'll dig into it and we're going to see uh, what God is saying here. And God, what he's doing is pointing him back to uh, Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's son. Uh, and you'll remember Abraham uh, was the man who uh, God called and inherited the promises of God for people and for land and for blessing and to bless the whole world through him. So massive promises. Isaac, his son, inherits those promises. They pass on to him. And now Isaac is going to have children of his own. Uh, his wife, Rebecca, is pregnant. She has twins. Um, and um, imagine this for a first pregnancy. The children are fighting in your womb. She can feel them fighting one another. And, and so she inquires of God, why is this happening? What's going on? And here's what God says to her. Genesis 25. Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, this is not just uh, God's prediction of what will happen because he kind of just knows the future. Uh, this is actually God's election. Uh, this is God's sovereign choice because God has a sovereignty over all these things. And so God chose Jacob and not Esau. Uh, they were the names of the twins that were born, Jacob and Esau. Esau was older, he came out first, and so by right, he was the one who would inherit the promises of his father, Isaac. Right, But he didn't, because God chose Jacob, and it was Jacob who inherited the promises. And so that's what it means when it says that God loved Jacob but hated Esau. Right, it's not a question of his kind of feelings toward them. Uh, it's trying to show us just a clear choice between them that God has made. Right? And then we see this choice of, between Jacob and Esau playing out in history as they grow into these large nations. So Jacob grew to become Israel and Esau grew to become Edom, the nation called Edom, uh, which is what God then talks about as we go through Malachi. So this is how it played out in history for Edom, Esau's descendants. So God says, Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. And so here, Edom is saying one thing and God is saying another. Edom is saying, yeah, we've been crushed a little bit, but we're going to rebuild. But God says, no, you, you will not rebuild because I will demolish and this is not you know god being some bully down the beach just kicking over people's sandcastles that they're building up right this is this is uh god this is his choice playing out in history uh, edom became enemies of god and enemies of god's people and so they opposed him uh, and when you oppose god uh, it doesn't go well for you but then what happened for israel well when when israel went into exile Edom actually gloated over them. They rejoiced that Israel had gone into exile in Babylon. But now what's happened is Israel have returned and they are rebuilding. 
uh, and Edom has since really been wiped off the map. Uh, they are a people no more. And it's good for us to ask the question, why was Israel not like Edom? Right? Why, why was Jacob not like Esau? It wasn't because he deserved it or because he had earned God's love and favour in some way. No, it was because God chose them. Right? Israel are where they are now, not because of anything in themselves, but because God chose them. That's why they're not destroyed. That's why they are rebuilding. Now, this is a choice that gets spoken about a lot in the Bible, but one of the great places is Deuteronomy 7, where it says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you, talking about Israel, uh, because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to his ancestors. So this is what it means when God says, I have loved you. Right? God is saying that, remember, I've entered into this, this relationship with you, this covenant, this unbreakable uh, relationship. It's like a marriage. Right? It's a relational commitment between the two parties. Right? God says to Israel, I will be your God, uh, and Israel are to be God's people. This is the covenant relationship that God has entered into with them. And so really God's answer to them when they've asked, how have you loved us, is really, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. I loved you in the past when I chose you to be my people. I've loved you ever since as I've carried you along and cared for you. And I will always love you, no matter what, because of this covenant relationship they're in. And so then as you think about that, God's love for his people, what is the response that God wants from them? What is he looking for? We'll have a look at verse 5 and we'll see. It's when Israel see the gracious love of God that is always working for their good, it should turn them from their groaning and from their grumbling and their questioning and their doubting. It should turn them to praise him. Verse 5. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. So when they see God who is preserving them but is uh, destroying their enemies, they should know God is at work. He's not just some puny local God who is just kind of constrained to the border of Israel that are so small now. Uh, He is the God of the whole world and all nations. He is the Lord Almighty who rules over all. He rules over Babylon. He rules over Persia, over Edom, over Greece, over Rome, who are coming in the future. They all serve him. And God loves Israel. God is working for their good in all things here. And so when Israel see that, they should praise him. That's the response they should have. They should be praising God. Uh, And I I looked up Psalm 117, which is the the shortest chapter in the whole Bible, shortest psalm. It really captures this praise when you see God's love. It says, praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. It's it's like the the little song they sang in the book of Ezra when they returned and rebuilt the temple. Praise the Lord for his steadfast love. Now this has got to be, uh, this God's love, the headline over all of Malachi. We need to remember this as we go through. 
particularly because the rest of the book is really God confronting his people with their sin. But as we go through that and we hear that, it's, it's God's covenant love that sets the context for hearing about those sins. And it's that covenant love that sets the context for how they're meant to respond. Because things haven't changed from when God called them and gave them his law and called them to be his people. They must remember that uh, and respond how they ought to return to the Lord in that wholehearted devotion. Now, uh, think about us. If you've ever looked at your own life and wondered if God loves you, if he cares, if he is there, uh, this is something that we need to remember as well. I remember going through a a period like this in my life, and maybe you have too. I remember as a young adult, uh, I was just going through some some doubts and some struggles. um, And, you know, I was a Christian and I read my Bible. I knew. I knew God was love. I knew God loved me. I knew it said that, but I just didn't believe it. I didn't feel like that was true. And so I struggled to believe it. But I think the reason that I was struggling is because I had an idea in my head of what love looks like from God to us. And God wasn't measuring up to that. And maybe you've had that similar experience where things aren't going great and you know God could do something about it. He's sovereign, he loves you, but he's, he's not doing anything about it. Or he's not acting in the way you would like or the way that you would expect. And so you too maybe begin to doubt God's love. And so we might be those people who then ask, maybe not out loud, but in our hearts, God, how have you loved me? How have you loved us? Right, and, and how would God respond? Well, he'd respond in a very similar way to the way he responded to his people then. Right, he would point us uh, to his sovereign choice of us. Right, his love for us. You see, God loves, God loves everyone in one sense. God loves the whole world. Uh, he, he made everything. His mercy is over all that he has made. He gives life and breath to everyone. He satisfies people's hearts with food and gladness. So he he loves everyone in one sense, but he has a particular love for his elect, for his chosen ones. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1, when he says that God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So think about this. Before you were born, before you had done anything right or wrong, good or bad, God in his great love and his totally free choice chose you to be in Christ, to be adopted as his child now and forever. That is where God wants to point us if we want to know if he loves us or not. He says, I have loved you, and this was well before we were around. So so lock that in place, that's one piece, but then get ready for some more. Uh, God then showed his love for his chosen people uh, in time, in history, in the coming of Jesus. Jesus' life was about love. Jesus was the display of God's love in his whole entire life. Have a look at John 13. Uh, John sums it up when he says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus' life was one of love for his disciples. He taught them, he protected them, and he prepared them 
for the greatest act of love that they would ever see, that the world would ever see, when he died upon the cross for them. Right? This was the demonstration of God's love for his people. So Romans chapter 5, Paul shows us this. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So notice that Christ died for us before we had done anything that deserved it. While we were still sinners, while we were still rebels, while we were still haters of God and his enemies, Jesus died for the ungodly, those who deserve God's wrath. And, and Jesus' death reconciled us to God. Right? So now that Jesus is risen and we are with him, we know that we are right with God. Right? We know that there is nothing between us anymore. Right, so now lock that away in place as well. Chosen, and then Christ has died for us. So now there's just one more. Uh, those who have been loved by God through Jesus Christ in this way uh, can be certain nothing is ever going to separate you from his love. So go to Romans 8 here. At the very end, Paul is boasting in this when he says, For I am convinced that neither life, uh, death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you are an adopted child of God, nothing is going to separate you from that love of God in Christ. Right? And this is not because you have such a strong hold upon God in your strength, it's actually because God has such a strong hold upon you. Right? The, the God who chose you, Christ who died for you, says, I'm never going to let you go. Right? And so lock that away as well. It's so interesting, but why do you think God has to keep telling us that he loves us in his word? Why is this the constant refrain of scripture, that God loves us? Well, it's because we don't believe it. We find it hard to believe. And we quickly forget it as well. God has to keep telling us. Because what happens is we, we look at the world and we see war and we see famine and we see poverty and we see injustice and things just seem to be getting worse. And then we look at our own circumstances and there's, there's suffering and there's sickness and there's struggles. And then we look at ourselves and, and how, how good we are at being Christians and we go, man, I sin and, and I struggle and I'm weak. How could God love me? Does God love us? And we can begin to doubt when we look at all these things, but the, the problem is we're, we're looking in the wrong place. Right? Where should we look to see the love of God? Where does God show us his love? He shows us in the cross of Christ. God is speaking to us there saying, I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. And he speaks to us in his word and he tells us that truth and he gives us that promise. And so this is where we need to look to know that God loves us. Uh, when we doubt, when we struggle, keep looking to the word of God and the cross of Christ where he says, I love you. 
And, right, and then when you see that, uh, when you see God's love for you and his, his working for your good in all things until he brings you to be with him forever, when you see that, praise God. Right? That is the response we should have. Praise God for his, his sovereign grace. Praise him for his steadfast love and faithfulness. Praise him. And then once you've got that in place and you know God's love, uh, the next thing to think about is what will it mean for a people who are loved by God to live in response to God's love? Right? What does it mean for a people who are so loved by God to live in response to that love? Not to earn it, but because it is theirs. What is it going to mean for them to live that way? Well, that is, that's the rest of the book of Malachi. Right? That, that's what Malachi is going to go on to address. There's all these issues that they've got that, that need to be addressed, but the first word is love. Right? That is the headline over the whole book. Right? Because this is the this is the bedrock of their relationship. This is the context that these words come in. God's love for his people. And so as we read it as well, we must remember the love of God for us in Christ, that we are his people, that we are loved. Right? But a, a people who are loved by God live in response to that love. Right? They praise God, they obey God, they love God in return. Uh, and people that do that, they bring praise and they bring glory to God's name. And that is what we want. Uh, so as we go through Malachi, remember that. And let's remember to respond in praise. And we'll see that as we go through. But let's finish now and we'll pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are, we are so thankful for your amazing love. Father, we thank you that you chose us before creation uh, to be in Christ, uh, to be those forgiven and adopted. Uh, we thank you for the love we see in the cross of Christ uh, that is so clear, uh, that is unmoving in history. And we thank you, Lord, that you never change, uh, that those that you have loved, you will love forever, uh, that nothing will ever separate us from your love. Father, help us to see this. Uh, help us to take our eyes off uh, the world and, and our circumstances and even the thoughts of our own hearts and help us to look to you and to your word uh, and to know your great love for us. And I pray, Father, when we see it, we would praise you. Uh, we live in response, uh, in obedience, uh, with great joy as we serve you. And we pray, Father, you do this amazing work in us by your spirit and all for your glory. Amen.